This is the Airplane Geeks Podcast. We aim to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. I'm Max Flight. Well, the annual Spurwink Farm Fly-In and Pancake Breakfast is coming up July 9th, 2023. The event is hosted by EAA Chapter 141 on the 1,800-foot grass runway at the Spurwink Farm Airfield in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. The farm is a 40-stall private boarding facility. It's owned by the Sprague family. The fly-in runs from 8 o'clock in the morning until 11. The pancakes are freshly cooked, and the blueberries and maple syrup are main products. Now, I've personally attended the last two Spurwink fly-ins and had a terrific time at each. A number of Airplane Geeks listeners flew in, and others came by land. The aircraft were numerous and varied. The pancakes were delicious. The setting is idyllic. There is just nothing like a good old-fashioned grass strip fly-in where you can stand at the edge of the airstrip, get up close to the airplanes, meet old friends, and make new ones. Now, in 2022, Micah and I recorded a number of interviews at Spurwink Farm for episode 708. Since we're on our summer 2023 hiatus, and because we don't want to leave you without an Airplane Geeks episode... We're going to replay those interviews here. Perhaps they'll inspire you to attend the fly-in July 9th, or perhaps they'll inspire you to attend a fly-in in your area. Coming up, you'll hear Fred Wilcoxon tell us about his BD-5 micro home-built airplane. Douglas Corrigan relates his story about getting the aviation bug as a youngster and now working air traffic control. J.D. is a retired military pilot. He flies long-haul cargo on a Boeing 777, and he flew up from New Jersey last year in his Cessna 177B Cardinal. Also, Mike Smith brought his beautiful Sonics up from Massachusetts. We also talked with Bill Barry, the former NASA chief historian. And finally, Mary Lou Sprague tells us how she and her Late husband Finn started a relationship with EAA Chapter 141 and how the airstrip came about. All right, let's roll the interviews. This past weekend was the uh, Spurwink fly-in uh, in, in Maine, fly-in and pancake breakfast. Uh, we'd been talking about this, and of course, as you uh, probably know, Micah was there, I, I was there as well, and uh, a, a bunch of other folks that we uh, know very well, and also some folks who turned into new friends. Uh, Mike, it was a great, uh, a great event, and um, we have some interviews that we recorded while we were there. But anything else you want to sort of kick this off with, Micah, before we launch into those? Uh, yeah, I think I, we need to say that we both know, everybody else here knows, and all our listeners know, we've been raving about this event for well over a year now and, and raving about what happened last week, both last week and this week. But um, it's really all true. <laughs> all the great things we say, it's just an amazing event. And we'll, we'll talk more about it. Uh, I got there a little before you, and I think the first interview that we're going to start with is uh, everything was empty. There were only two planes down, and one of them was uh, a rather spectacular aircraft I'd never seen before, a, a BD-5. That's right, a micro little home-built airplane. So uh, let's learn more about that. 
It's your main man, Micah, here at the Spurwink Farm Pancake Breakfast and Fly-In. And yes, it's 7.30 in the morning. And yes, anybody that knows me knows that it's very unusual for me to be awake at this time. Normally, I'm going to sleep. But nonetheless, I am here. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous day. Max is here, too. He's going to be over here in just a minute. And I'm standing in front of a beautiful BD5, and we should have a picture of it. And I'm here with the owner, Fred Wilcoxon, who built it from scratch. And Fred... Tell me a little bit about, first, what made you decide to build this gorgeous little jet fighter, practically? Well, it was uh, back in the 70s when it first came out. Uh, it was very reasonable price-wise. And uh, you could do it with common hand tools, supposedly, is the way it was advertised. And uh, we later found out that it, not everybody has milling machines or lathes in their garage. But uh, it's uh, very challenging and uh, it was. It's a very well-built plane. I mean, it's uh, fully aerobatic, um, and for the price of it, it was uh, reasonable at the time. Now, did you build it with the chapter, or did you build it on your own? Or I, I, I built the airplane on, on my own. I was in the Navy at the time, and I was a jet engine mechanic, and I used my mechanical skills to actually build the airplane. And it, uh, I started the process back in 1975. Wow, started in 75, and how long did it take? When did you have it complete? Uh, I finished this one up uh, just two years ago, <clears throat> and I've still got another one in my garage that I'm making modifications for it, putting a bigger motor in it, and uh, it's still under construction. So, Now, you said you were a jet engine mechanic, and when you look at this, just, you know, for the average person who's not really an aviation enthusiast would say, wow, look at that little jet, but it's a, a piston engine pusher. Tell us a little bit about the engine and how you get it in there, because you can't even, it looks like you can't even see it there. You wouldn't know where to look. Right. The engine is a Zenoa. It's a Japanese uh, three-cylinder, 75-horsepower engine. Uh, that was one of Jim Bede's uh, biggest fallbacks, was finding an engine for it to produce between 65 and 75 horsepower and be light enough and be small enough to where it could fit in the airplane. The engine actually sits just behind the pilot. Uh, that's what basically killed the BD-5 was not having an engine for the aircraft. Uh, they went with the Hearth engine for a while. It had a harmonics and it was uh, splitting the crankshafts. And then they came out with the Zenoa and then there was a big political ruha with uh, Japan over the engine getting it shipped into the United States. But uh, there's been many engines tried and uh, this is one of the engines that's persevered. Now, you said you're working on a second one. Do you have the same engine for that, or are you working with a different engine? No, I'm working with a different engine. That's going to be what they call a turboprop. It's going to run a Solar uh, Chinook APU helicopter engine in it. Wow, so I would imagine that would be a bit more powerful? No, it's about the same. Uh, it's a 75 horsepower, and um, but it, you get the, the reliability of the jet engine. And um, it's a pretty good setup. I'm fixing to go down to Fort Pierce and pick up one. Uh, that a gentleman was building and uh, sold it due to a divorce. And uh, the guy that bought it wound up getting killed in a motorcycle accident. And his father donated it back to the Jim Bede Foundation. And Jim Bede Jr. Uh, has basically got a hold of me and wanted me to finish it, get it flying for him. So Now, you're a pretty big guy. We're about the same height, although I probably have 100 pounds on you because you're you're built very well. But I can't imagine, in terms of your height, how do you fit in it? So how does it fly and how comfortable is it? It's uh, You fit in it very carefully. You sit in a semi-reclined position. 
And about 6'2", 6'3", is about the maximum height that you can have in the airplane just due to legroom because your feet actually go pretty much all the way to the nose of the airplane. And um, it's it's actually a very comfortable to fly. Uh, it's a side stick control, uh, throttles on the left with along with the trim and the flaps, and then the, uh, the pitch control is on the right-hand side. And how does it handle? I mean, obviously, you've flown other aircraft. How alert, I suppose, you have to be compared to when you're flying in a 172 or something like that? Uh, it's, it was originally billed that uh, a low-time pilot could fly it. We really don't recommend a low-time pilot trying to fly it because it is very touchy. Uh, it is, uh, with the longer wings, it's not as touchy. Um, they have a shorter wing, a 17-foot jet wing that you can put on it. And uh, it's, it, it's uh, very pitch-sensitive uh, because it's a pusher prop. Uh, it's very roll sensitive. It's fully aerobatic. So um, it flies nice. It really does. I mean, you have to know what you're doing. You can't be a, a, a rookie pilot, so, so to speak. So. And are you comfortable doing aerobatics in it, something you've done? Oh, yeah, very, very much so. It, it flies very nice. Uh, like I said, it's fully aerobatic. Uh, you can do rolls. You can do spins. You can do loops. It, for most of our people aren't aware that this has a gasoline engine in it which runs carburetors. It's not fuel injected, but you can actually fly it inverted for a short period of time with carburetors, and it won't fuel starve the engine. Really? You don't have to keep it in a 1G roll? No. No, it's, it's pretty amazing. They're, the carburetors are built by Makuni, and uh, it was one of their design features when they sold the engine to Jim Bead. Unbelievable. What else should I be asking you about it? Obviously, I'm not an expert on the aircraft. What else should, should our listeners know? Uh, it's the most fun you'll ever have with your clothes on. I love it. Jim, thank you so much for, for talking to us. Really appreciate it, and welcome to the Airplane Geeks podcast. Good. Enjoy. Now, we'll have a picture of this in the show notes, so if you're not familiar with the, the bead, BD-5, uh, you can see that in the show notes. It's it's a micro airplane. I mean, it's about as small an airplane as you could possibly build. I'm so excited to see uh, that you uh, you guys got up close to one and got to talk with an owner. I still remember in the 1970s, and it was probably the early 70s, attending an air show at the uh, Shimung County Airport for Elmira, New York. And there was a BD-5 that uh, flew in that air show. And I think it was the, the 5J version. Because uh, I distinctly remember that it was jet powered, and boy, that really captured everybody's attention. And so, as a teenager, I just looked at that, and I think we all thought, "Wow, I want one of those." So it's certainly an iconic aircraft from from that time period. Uh, certainly, it uh, captured everybody's imagination, and it was definitely not for low time pilots to fly. And you know, one of the things that was amazing about it, Max and I were there when uh, it was being torn down. It was trucked in or trailered in, and it snaps apart. I mean, the the wings pop right off like a, like like you're building a Lego. It's just unbelievable. Now, when I asked him, I said, "Did it go together just as quickly?" He said, "No, it took a little more time." But <laughs> but nonetheless, it was just unreal how quickly it would get packed right back up in the trailer. And one of the really cool things about it, a, a uh, fly-in like this, is that the time he spent talking to us and explaining uh, the airplane to us is really not because we were from a podcast and we had a microphone and, uh, you know, we were, we were doing an interview. At an event like this, a, a guy like that will, will spend that much time with anybody of, of any age, of any 
uh, level of knowledge or sophistication. All of these uh, pilots, all of these aircraft owners at an event like this, at a fly-in like this, will just spend a lot of time with you. And it's, it's one of the really amazing things about fly-ins like this. Yeah, and one of the I love the way that they ended up displaying this aircraft. It was one of the first ones to come in, and and you know we were there very early, but parked right next to it. The, the BD five was the the newest looking aircraft of the bunch that flew in, but parked right next to it is an old Champ, very very old, completely restored. Looked like it just came off the assembly line, and yeah. when you see the photo in in in, in the show notes, you'll see. That's just the kind of thing. And again, this was very early on. They were the only two aircraft there. A lot more came in later. But that's the kind of thing you see when you get to a fly-in. It's unbelievable. And each owner was equally proud of their aircraft. It certainly had a right to be so. Now, we also talked with Douglas Corgan. He is uh, an ATC guy. And he was interested in aviation as just a young kid. And he's got kind of a fun story. So we captured that. One of the great things about coming to a fly-in is you meet all kinds of interesting people, uh, unexpectedly often. And uh, we're sitting here eating our pancakes, and uh, we're speaking with an air traffic controller. Doug Corrigan. Doug, um, I understand that uh, you've been a a fan of aviation since uh, a very young age. Yeah, since I was 10, uh, I've been kind of pursuing air traffic control, and... uh, it's been over about 47 years now. I've been doing it for I did, I've been doing it for 40. So, and you used to hang out at the airport. Yeah, at Logan Airport and uh, other airports around Boston when I was a kid. And uh, used to I used to one day I was riding the subway when I was 10 by myself, which my mother allowed me to do, which is unheard of today. But and uh, she always said don't leave the stations. And so one day I came out of uh, Maverick Station on the Blue Line, and the next stop was the airport. And uh, I just decided that I was going to get off the train and go check the airport out and i was wandering around the airport this is back in 1975 and uh, the new air traffic control tower had just been built and there used to be an observation deck on the 16th floor and somehow i found my way up there and uh, there were two speakers piped into the control tower and so there i was suddenly 10 years old overlooking an airport listening to these air traffic controllers and i just knew instantaneously that that's what i was going to do it was pretty obvious i just i couldn't uh, i couldn't get enough and it was in February vacation, and I came back home that day, and I didn't tell my mother, and then I went back every day during February vacation, and uh, finally I had to tell her what I was doing, and so yeah, that was 1975. Was she upset that you were uh, off on all these adventures? No, I think she, you know, she grew up in the 40s and, and rode the subway herself, so she had some sort of sense of, it was still safe back then, and so I told her what I was doing, and she continued to allow me to do it. And so every weekend and every summer vacation, every day I spent out at Logan Airport. So did you ever consider a, a different kind of a career, or was this always a focus all throughout school? Nothing, nothing at all. Either I was going to get a scholarship to play baseball, which was pretty, pretty slim, but this was always it. I, I knew it from, uh, from that day, and, uh, and I've been doing it ever since. So I got lucky. I got really fortunate. So how about training or education? What was your path to becoming a controller? Well, in 1981, I was a, I was a senior in high school, and the, the, the best thing that could have happened for me, which was very sad for a lot of people, was Ronald Reagan fired 11,000 air traffic controllers, and, and uh, I quit, they, they filled those slots with a lot of military people, and, and fortunately, 
Um, you know, I passed the military entrance exam, and the Navy was very happy to have me as an air traffic controller. So I got, a, I got really fortunate the timing of it. And uh, I spent eight years in the Navy on aircraft carriers and up in, in uh, stationed up in Brunswick, Maine. And so I got a lot of training, and, uh, and so I, got, I just got really fortunate timing-wise. And where are you working now? Uh, I work out of the Portland Jetport. I'm uh, currently uh, rewriting their kind of training program, kind of updating it, which is something I've done over the last 10 years. And, uh, and then I, I periodically, you know, will get back into working airplanes. Uh, I might be heading down to Martha's Vineyard here shortly, and, uh, which I've got. Uh, that was my first civilian job was uh, Martha's Vineyard, which I've been off and on for about 30 years. I've been doing, going down there and helping out. And is this your uh, first year here to the Spurwing Farm fly-in? Yeah, this is my first experience. I heard about it, and um, I live on a street where there's a lot of little kids, and I just thought it'd be great to, to tell them. And so I, this is the first time I've ever been here. It's fabulous. And some of, the, you know, some of the controllers are here doing their thing. And so, yeah, this is a great, beautiful day. It is a fantastic day, and we're watching the airplanes come in. It's still early in the, in, relatively early in the morning, so there are a lot, of, lot more planes to, uh, to arrive and uh, it's, it's always a great event. This is my second year here. And, you know, once you come to something like this, uh, you, you know, you just, you just want to keep coming back. So it's great. I'm sure it'll be the same with you. Well, it's, it's, what's great is, uh, you know, back when I was a kid, it was very easy. You had, you had very easy access to observe and be part of airplanes and aviation. And that's kind of changed over the last 20 years. You know, a lot of restrictions and, you know, no more observation decks. And so this is just a great way to allow kids to get close to airplanes, touch them, climb in them, and then maybe get the bug. Yes, for sure. All right, well, thanks for speaking with us. Hope you have a terrific rest yeah. of the day. Yeah. Thanks. Have a great day. That's for you. Great that he mentioned the kids because that's absolutely when people get interested in aviation. In fact, I just said in a recent uh, uh, podcast that the, un, my unwritten rule is you have to wave at the kids because, you know, when they're 10, they get excited and they are the next generation of pilots and air traffic controllers and mechanics. So fantastic that, uh, you know, he invited a bunch of kids to come over. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And you'll hear us uh, mention this uh, coming up, but uh, I'll, let's bring it up now that the uh, the proximity you have to the airplanes is is just something that there's very few opportunities to uh, experience elsewhere and it's not just the, the the planes that have landed and are parked which you can obviously walk up to and walk around and so forth but just how close you are to the uh, you know this grass field this grass airfield this grass strip uh, is is just really remarkable and that particular interview is sort of an example of the sort of camaraderie that goes on at this particular fly-in. We were sitting there having breakfast, you know, it, you, you and me and Linda, uh, Max, and, 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 you know, you were wearing your Airplane Geeks uh, podcast uh, T-shirt, and this person sitting across from you said, what's that? And we told her, and she said, oh, you should interview him. And he was <laughs> sitting right next to you. And so there we went, you know, and, 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 and look – Look at that kind of information, how you, you meet somebody who, who's rewriting the manuals for, for the Portland Jet Board. It's unbelievable. You know, as he was talking and he, he said Spurwink Farms, I have to ask you, Micah, how does anybody say that without just giggling? I mean, it's such, such a funny <laughs> sounding word. I mean, it's almost like saying Djibouti. You know, there's some places you say the name, you just have to laugh. Spurwink Farms. I mean, what a funny name. Yeah. Spurwink River. I think that's what it's all about. But anyway. I don't know. It sounds like Bullwinkle or something. You know? uh, it's just, it's just a great name. Uh, it's a good name for the place because it, it really is an, you know, an idyllic, idyllic setting. It's uh, uh, beautiful. We'll, we'll talk about that 
but, you know, we met uh, one of our listeners, um, J.D., who turns out to be a really cool guy. And so uh, we spoke with him, and you can listen to that right now. J.D. is a listener who flew up for the event from New Jersey, I think. Correct. And what did you fly up in? I flew up in a Cessna Cardinal, a Cessna 177B. Have you had that for a long time? Ten years. Ten years. Isn't that about the time you started listening to Airplane Geeks? Uh, That is correct. Uh, You guys were actually part of the reason that I ended up getting an airplane. You guys and another podcast uh, convinced me to go uh, and make the plunge into airplane ownership. It's okay. You can tell us what the other podcast is. We want to know. Uh, The other one was the... Oh, you put me on the spot here. You did. You put him on the spot. That's okay. You'll you'll think of it. You'll think think of it. But the other thing I got to tell you, and I'm going to tell our listeners, I have never seen a Cardinal, and I have never been in one. So I've got to tell you, after this interview, we're walking over to your plane. Absolutely. Love to have you. So that's, uh, that's what you fly, but not as part of your day job. That's correct. Uh, I'm a retired military pilot. I flew C-141s and C-5s and T-37s and T-38s. And uh, for my day job, I fly a 777 for a major cargo company. Hey, what kind of routes do you fly in that? Uh, mostly long-haul international, all over the world, the major financial centers and capitals of the world. Uh, earlier, as we were uh, finishing up our pancakes, you were talking about the, uh, the differences in flying the... 777 versus the C5A Galaxy. Maybe you could uh, tell our listeners again kind of what those differences are? Sure. The main one is uh, technology. The 777 is a fly-by-wire airplane. Uh, You move the yoke and uh, the flight control computers do their thing and they move the airplane uh, very, very precisely and accurately. Whereas the C5 uh, has got 200 and something feet of cable running behind it. And uh, they all were a little bit different. Some of them had more slop in it than others. And uh, depending on which tail number you were flying, it was always a little bit different. But uh, the 777's is much more responsive airplane. The C5 was much heavier in, uh, in roll and in pitch. So the C5 was really fly-by-wire, too, but the wires were connected to the controls. Exactly. That's the, that was the joke that we used to say, too. It's a fly-by-wire also. Pilots will know the answer to this question, but for, for those listening maybe who are not pilots, uh, sometimes you'll hear people wonder about how someone who flies in the Air Force and then uh, after the Air Force flies a triple seven large commercial aircraft, how does that compare to flying a general aviation aircraft? Is, is the th- what is the thrill that passes through all those? Uh, it, it is. It was a, a boyhood dream, and I started off getting my private license uh, before I went to pilot training in the Air Force. So I've kind of come full circle back around uh, after I became a 777 pilot and had the financial means and listening to you guys and uh, the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast was the other one. Um, Uh, I decided to get back into it. And the freedom of just being able to fly when you want, where you want, how you want, uh, and be able to pick up and go to an event like this on a Sunday morning, uh, especially in the United States without having to get permissions or a file a flight plan or, or, you know, it's it's a fantastic freedom and it's just a thrill to be able to do it. And this is just the start of your flying weekend. (laughs) Yes, I'm continuing uh, further up to Maine to see an old Air Force buddy of mine and then uh, I'll turn around and fly back to New Jersey uh, tomorrow sometime. So let me ask you this. You've heard us for I don't know how many years now raving about this event. And then last year, speaking of raving, Max did come and he raved about it as well. So we're here now and I'm looking at the line for the pancakes. It's the longest I have ever seen it. Um, 
what are your impressions, having arrived, only heard all the raving? Did, did anything we say actually hold true? Well, so far, I've only uh, ops tested the pancakes, and uh, those have uh, proven to uh, meet the hype. Uh, maybe even exceeded. They were amazing. And, and now I want to get out and look at some airplanes, and it looks like there's quite a few more people in planes here than I was thinking there were going to be. It's just a beautiful day, and I think other people had the same idea. J.D., thank you so much for flying up. And, and I also got to tell our listeners, how would we find out J.D. was coming? He sent me a tweet saying, look out for this airplane, and we did, and we saw it, and so glad to have you here. Thanks, J.D. Have a great day. You guys, too. Thanks for interviewing me. It was really nice to meet J.D., and uh, as with uh, all of the interviews, we have some photos, again, in the show notes, so be sure to check that out at AirplaneGeeks.com. You can see the Cardinal, you see J.D., uh, JD uh, as, as well as the others we talked with. And I got to tell you, the Cardinal lived up to all its hype, too. I've never seen one before, only heard about it. That beautiful cantilevered wing without any struts so you can climb in and out and those big doors and i think there's more room in the cardinal than there is in the 182 in both the front and back seat it's just beautiful and david maybe you might one of the things jd said is that he's wanted to go to the helicopter museum and one of the first questions he asked me is did you go down with your friend like you talked about on the show and i told him no we couldn't had to cancel it but uh, he said well look the next time you're in new jersey call me and if i'm off i'm going to come up to the greenwood lake airport pick you up in the cardinal we'll fly right down and we'll all visit david together so you might be running into us at some time or another david that's excellent david's on mute no, I'm just being quiet. <laughs> hey, I wanted to comment about the uh, the pancakes. What is it about pilots and pancakes? You know, growing up as a kid, the two were always just kind of linked together in my mind. And talking about it right now, I can taste them. <laughs> now, now, oddly, here on the West Coast, we just don't see as many pancake breakfasts. Uh, back east, they seem to be far more prevalent. And I miss them. Ah, oh, yes, I would miss them if I didn't have the opportunity. But uh, these, uh, we talk about these pancakes, and we keep talking about them. But, you know, it, fresh Maine blueberries, uh, nice oh. Maine maple syrup. And stop, stop. I think, making me hungry. <laughs> I, I think the batter contained just a touch of vanilla extract, perhaps, or something like that, just to I give agree. them some, yeah, a little bit of extra, whoa, this is really nice, not really nice. Can you do a soft field landing in, 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 in the Cirrus Max? Can Maybe you can fly over next time. <laughs> oh, I did realize it was a grass uh, strip. Yeah. Boy, um, so I guess we're going to have to spin off yet another podcast. There are so many shows that have spun off from this podcast, probably at least a half a dozen. We're now going to have the, uh, I don't know, the, the food connoisseur <laughs> show uh, talking about pancakes and vanilla extract and other delicacies. Yeah, yeah. That'd be worthwhile. <laughs> After all, you've got the Eat at the Airport website. So There's a start. Right. Exactly. Av geeks eating together. Ah, that's it. On the grass strip question, uh, Max, I was going to ask you actually, have you ever landed on a, on a grass strip? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, first time I landed on grass was probably at my home airport because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> interestingly, you know, and, and it, was, it was on purpose, by the way, just to let you know. Okay, yeah, I was wondering where that was going. <laughs> so so my, uh, my instructor, who also ran the airport and, you know, owned the airplanes and mowed the grass and you know, everything at, up in Wellsboro, he would land his airplanes on the grass parallel to the runway simply because he was trying to increase the life of his tires. And when I brought my girlfriend home from college, who's my now wife, and she 
had her uh, go up for a flight with him. Two of us sat in the back. As he's landing on the grass, she's thinking, we're going to die. We're missing the runway. <laughs> and, of course, I was sitting there calmly going, of course he's landing on the grass. He's trying to save his tires. Wow. Wow. Is there much difference other than tire wear between landing on grass and landing on asphalt? Yeah, mostly in terms of takeoff and landing distances. Your takeoff distances are going to be longer. Your landing distances are going to be shorter. And then, of course, uh, the the rest of it just depends on how smooth the you know the dirt is beneath the the grass, so you can get a lot more bumping around. And you know, if you've got really tall long grass, man, that's going to really yeah. increase the uh, you know the, the distances. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, Max, I was going to ask you one of the things we saw a few of there that I had noticed a couple of times, but you don't see too often are I think what they're called tundra tires. Uh, those big, large balloon tires, uh, and, and, and they're just amazing to see. And I know they're very, very expensive. Is there a real difference when you're landing or taking off with those? Have you fl- ever flown them? You know, I haven't flown on them, but I can tell you they seem to be increasingly popular. I would say in, in the last 10, 15 years, there's been a, a huge growth in interest in backcountry flying. And so you see a lot more airplanes which are equipped with those tires and a lot more pilots who are heading out to uh, small remote uh, strips and planes like that these days. So, yeah, that's, that's a growth segment within the industry. Hmm. Yeah, and there were quite a few of them there, Micah. You're, you're right. I did notice that. Uh, but one aircraft we saw with uh, pretty small tires was the uh, Sonics of Mike Smith, who came last year and came again uh, this year. And so we talked to him for just a just a little bit. Here we are at Spurwink Farm again. And again, for the second year in a row, we are here with Mike Smith and his beautiful Sonics. Mike, I guess Spurwing Farm must have made a little bit of an impression on you last year. Oh, absolutely. This is uh, so much fun. So many different aircraft, uh, short field grass, so it's really fun to watch people uh, slip in and uh, make these short landings. And, and the people here are just, you know, fantastic. It's, everybody's your friend. You just walk around, you say hi to somebody, and you'll start a conversation. It really is amazing. I imagine it's very much like uh, how they describe Oshkosh. You meet someone and, and it, it, like you said, instant friends. It's, uh, we haven't seen each other since, since last year at this time, but, you know, it's like it's old buddies reunited. Yep, old times. Yeah, you come for the airplanes, you stay for the people, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So tell me, how was the flight? You came up from Stowe, Massachusetts. How long did it take you and how was it today? Oh, absolutely gorgeous blue skies, no bumps in the sky. It took me about an hour to fly up here. At about 5,500 feet and just absolutely gorgeous. Well, you've got a gorgeous airplane for it, too, and uh, that home built. And, and, you know, the propellers are still bent on it. <laughs> yeah, Prince Pita, people do ask me if I had a prop strike, and I said, no, they're, they're made that way. Well, so glad to see you again this year. Really, really happy you made it, and, and thanks for bringing that gorgeous airplane. Well, you're welcome. Good to see you and Max and Linda. That Sonics is pretty cool looking, I tell you. It's tiny. You know, I, I, again, I, I might be able to fly it if I were a pilot, but I'd never fit in next to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that company is extremely well known. They're based in Oshkosh or very, very close to that. And the, uh, you know, the family has run the company for years. Uh, tragically, uh, the CEO, Jeremy, who was a younger fellow, uh, died in a crash uh, 
couple of years ago. Um, and of course, what's really interesting they're doing these days are the Sonics Jets. And they just introduced a, a two-seat version of the Sonics jet. The problem they'd had in the past was with a one-seat jet, there was nothing for them to train pilots in. And so they used to use a glider that was sat down low to the runway, kind of the similar height as the Sonics jet. But now with the, the two-passenger version, they'll be able to train people in that uh, before they actually jump into the single-seat version the first time. <laughs> Very nice. And, uh, yeah, Mike's is, is really beautiful, really, really nicely done. Another guy that we uh, that we know that we caught up with was Bill Barry. He's of course the former NASA chief historian. He's been on on the podcast many many times, and so we had an opportunity to catch up with Bill. Okay. Bill Barry is here. Bill, it's good to see you again. The last time I saw you was in uh, upstate New York. Was it really at a little glider event? Oh yeah, up at um, up at Elmira last year, right? That's right. That's right. But we're, here we are at Spurwink Farms for the fly-in and pancake breakfast. Did you get your uh, pancakes yet? Oh yeah, and they were great. Real, real Maine blueberries and real maple syrup. Wonderful. There he goes. That was Sean Moody taking off, a former candidate for governor who we interviewed last year. But, uh, Bill, I don't think I've seen you for three or four years since Washington, D.C. I, I was thinking it was probably Red Robin the last time we saw each other. Was, uh... yeah. But, I, but you know, I figured since I called you out by name on the show, <laughs> it was important to, to talk with you. And, and what I really want is, you know, uh, we've been raving about this for years. You've heard us raving about it. You said you wanted to come. What are your impressions? What do you think? Oh, man, it's awesome. Pancakes. They're great. <laughs> so food's always a good thing. But what an amazing display of, of points. I mean, there are so many you know, points. I'm surprised now they managed to squeeze them all in here. And a uh, great bunch of folks. I'm bumping into people that, that I sort of know or should know. And, and it's a lot of fun. The variety of airplanes here is, is kind of amazing. Uh, I mean, you have everything from the, the Sonics. Mike's brought his, Mike brought his Sonics up. Um, he's parked next to a Stearman. Um, we have a variety of planes here, some seaplanes, just everything. The, the variety is just amazing. And we're standing in front of an autogyro. That's right. Yeah, yeah, autogyros. I got to go up in an autogyro someday, I think. Have you ever flown in an autogyro? Never in, nope, never been in an autogyro, so it'd be a new one for me, too. So, yeah, the crowd is big. There's a big turnout, and it's a spectacular day. It really is amazing. I, I been here for three or four years. I don't think I've seen this many people attending, and I'm so glad because EAA Chapter 141 really deserves it. They do a great job. Yeah, they're pretty well organized there, too. I mean, the, the pancake breakfast thing was smooth. Uh, they've got the CAP out here managing the crowd to keep them off the runway because you're like, like, we're standing here right on the runway. and Feet away. Walk, walk 15 feet over that way, I would have got my hair cut just then. So. That's right, that's right. That's one of the things that some of my friends have said is that they can't believe how close you can get to the airplanes and how close you can get to the runway and how I describe it and what people don't understand. This isn't an air show. This is a fly-in. This is an, a, just an event for people to hang out together and visit. And so you can get close to the airplanes. You can walk next to the runway. And so it's real personable. That's a great point, Mike. A, a fly-in is significantly different than an air show. It's great to see the number of uh, children here. There are lots and lots of kids here looking at the planes, asking questions, even touching the planes. And uh, I, I think this is where, you know, you generate interest in, in the young folks. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of pilots who are sort of, you know, taking kids over the, the planes, opening the door and, you know, pointing out things to the kids and stuff. And 
And uh, yeah, it's, it's a, that's the kind of thing. And if you're not into airplanes, there appears to be an antique car show right over here behind us. So um, I haven't even gotten over there yet. But You're right. I didn't see those. <laughs> I can, is, is that an MG I see over there maybe and uh, some other classic cars? Fantastic. We'll have to go take a look at that. Jennifer, did you bring Margie here, your MG? Did you not tell me you were coming? That would be something, wouldn't it? That would be something. Well, it's a, it's a great day. Glad you're uh, you're able to come. Uh, are, are you glad that Mike and Shane be into it finally? Yeah, finally, finally. Actually, I think he shamed a couple of people because I've run into a couple of people who are you know airplane geeks uh, listeners who flew in or, or came in. So that's right, quite a few people. That, uh, we love to see it. We love to support events like this and to help draw you know the crowd where where we can. And I've got to tell you, Max, and I'm going to say this on the air, although you can cut it out if you want to later. The, the wonderful event, Innovations in Flight, that we used to attend all the time has changed. And we're not being able to do what we used to do. And I think in the future, if that continues the way that it has, we should change this to the Airplane Geeks annual meetup event because it's the kind of thing where we can really hang out and hang out together for the whole day or for the morning. And then we can go off and do what we need to do in the afternoon. Perfect for kids. You can see the beach down there. You got the antique cars and you got all these beautiful airplanes. So why don't we say instead of at Passover Seder next year in Jerusalem, let's say next year at Spurwink Farm. This is certainly a great event, and, and the, the venue is just spectacular. As you said, Mike, uh, we actually walked down by the uh, t- towards the ocean uh, last night, and uh, it's just a, a great place to hang out and everything. So speaking of hanging out, Bill, uh, how are you enjoying retirement? Oh, it's great. <laughs> no more meetings all day long. I mean, particularly during the, the pandemic. I mean, we were, like, online on you know, Zoom meetings. Well, we were using a different platform, but uh, we were on video meetings like uh, for like seven hours a day. It was just it just was draining. So so I was very happy to leave all that behind, and uh, and I go fly gliders when I feel like it, and uh, and uh, come up and do things like this once in a while. Actually, I'm I saw you at Elmira last summer. This is the first time I've actually done an overnight away from home since then. So so only for airplanes. Only for airplanes. All for airplanes. All right. Well, Bill Barry, thanks so much. Great to see you again. You left as being the chief NASA historian, and now you're just a gentleman pilot. There we go. <laughs> Thanks again. It's always great to see Bill. It was, and, you know, he uh, he flew in, or rather drove from uh, where he lives out in western Massachusetts to Portsmouth and uh, spent the night with an old uh, pilot buddy he used to fly KC-135s with, and then they drove up uh, that next day and, and met us, and it was so great to see him. And uh, congratulations to you on your retirement, Bill. You, you're looking good. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Well, re- I think retirement helps people look good because you know you don't have that stress of uh, of work. We really had the privilege and honor of uh, speaking with Mary Lou Sprague. Now, the Sprague family owns the Spurwink Farm, and she tells us how she and her late husband uh, Phineas goes by Finn or went by Finn. Uh, got together with EAA Chapter 141 and how the airstrip came about because of potatoes. Spurwing Farm is uh, owned, operated by the Sprague family. And we have here Mary Lou, who uh, we're very, very happy to see and is kind of responsible for making this wonderful event happen each year. Actually, it's the uh, experimental aircraft people who are responsible for this. 
I remember Finn had a, an Aronka champ, and he decided that that was an airplane, and he wasn't didn't really think he wanted to keep anymore. So he called up the experimental aircraft people and asked if they would like his Aronka champ, and that's how we all met. And so. Uh, the experimental aircraft 141 took Finn's uh, uh, airplane and we just uh, have been friends ever since it's been very nice the turnout is just spectacular today of course it's a beautiful day the weather's perfect but there are so many people here it must make you feel very happy to see all these people it's absolutely wonderful and I'm sure that up above all that clouds, which there aren't any, Finn saying, just come and have a good time. And people are having a good time. And you, and you know what? A lot of people are bringing their children with them, which is really wonderful. Yes, and then hopefully we will be able to get some of our children flying, get them interested in it. They have to... The problem is the kids have so many things they're doing now. As always, in, in, in short uh, time, and they come to Maine in two weeks, and they're not going to learn how to fly in two weeks. You know, it's 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 too bad. But we'll work on it. We'll get them going and sticking to it. That's right. We keep trying. You know, one of my favorite memories of coming here, and I've only been coming for three or four years, but it was the last fly-in where your wonderful late husband attended and our friend, a friend of the podcast who lives here, flew in in his helicopter in R-44. And I remember that uh, your husband came down on his, on his chair and said he had never flown in a helicopter. So Ernie, our friend, said, well, we have to change that. And he gave him a ride and Ernie was never happier to be able to do that and said that, that your husband enjoyed it. Do you remember that and do you remember yes, what he said? I have a picture of it in the back of the uh, helicopter, and he was thrilled. He was just thrilled. He loved to go up, and we would go up and fly together in his little airplanes, and we'd go to see our friends along the coast, and we'd stop in Friendship, and we'd stop in Camden, and we'd stop and spy on our pals. It was fun. It was fun. How long ago did you guys decide that you were going to turn this into, I mean, it's a pasture, but turn it into an airfield so you could fly in and out? What made you decide to do that? We didn't decide to do it, but we decided that nobody would uh, uh, desecrate the airfield. It was Wainwright had this airfield, and he was raising potatoes on the farm. Some of them he raised here. Some of them he raised over on Richmond Island, and some of them, I think, it was up in China, Maine, and he had an airstrip there. So uh, Wainwright built this airstrip so he could get around to all the different places he went. And he, what he did is he uh, raised these potatoes, and the ones that he didn't um, uh, a sell in Maine he took down to Florida, and he sold in Florida, and then he would 
I'll bring Citrus Fruit back to Maine again on, on the return trip. So this airstrip was really built by Mr. Wainwright, and Finn was very uh, protective of this field. He didn't want anyone to get on it and spoil it. And he, I only remember him once being cross because a lady was here with her horse uh, doing circles, and he said, that is not acceptable. That is an airstrip. You do not ride a horse on my airstrip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that would be a problem. Well, Mary Lou, I want to thank you for talking with us, and I've also got to say that since Finn flew west, he's obviously been looking down on us and said the weather's going to be perfect because since he's gone, it's been a perfect day every single time. So I want to... So I want to thank you, and I want to thank Finn, and I want to say God bless him. Thank all the space, all the family. Thank you. Really delightful lady, Micah. She really, really is, and uh, so generous to uh, to do this for EAA Chapter 141 every year. And the other thing that she does is that real name maple syrup, she donates that every year. She's the one that goes out and buys that and donates it to, uh, to, to the chapter for the breakfast each year. And the other thing that I only just realized as part of the new Aviation Gourmet podcast— um, <laughs> She meant, you know, she talked about potatoes and how it used to be a potato farm. And obviously there was real Maine maple syrup there. There were real Maine blueberries there. That's three out of the four things that Maine's known for in terms of, in, in terms of eating. There's no lobster, but we get that there, and then we're covered. Yeah. Well, number, number four is Micah, right? So there, you've got four out of four. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Hey, and so you mentioned that it was a potato farm in the past. Is it still a working farm? And if so, what what do they farm these days besides airplanes? Horses. Yeah, it's a ho- it's a horse farm, right? There's lots of um, I don't know, stables, I guess you call them. Horses and cows. And cows. Yes, we'll uh, we'll we'll mention the cows in just a second because they're kind of well, kind of interesting too. But when you drive up, as I did and as Micah did. Um, yeah, you you go past the horse, some of the horses, and they're in different pastures, you know, throughout the the parking area where they have all the uh, attendees park. It's a pasture for the uh, horses, and uh, so it's an absolute working farm. Just really beautiful. And even along the strip sometimes. I mean, it's such a working farm that uh, you sometimes have to watch where you step. It's just one of those things, you know. Um, It's all fine, you know, and it it happens. But, yeah, it's it's a regular farm, and it's a beautiful farm. And, again, uh, the Sprague's and uh, and Mary Lou have always been very, very generous, and Mary Lou continues to be and has told uh, Chapter 141, told Bunk Chase, that as long as she's there, the event will continue. Yeah. All right, so uh, finally, Mike and I got together afterwards and kind of uh, uh, wrapped it up, put our thoughts of the day together, and here is that. Here we are at Spurwink Farm. It's the end of the day. It's about 12.30 in the afternoon, and it feels like it's been way too long, but way too short all at once. Max, what do you think about this year? It's your second time. Oh, another great year. Another good reason to come back next year for visit number three for me. Yeah, I don't know what the numbers are, but uh, there sure were a lot of planes here today. 
there sure were a lot of uh, people here, as we mentioned earlier, I think a lot of youngsters as well, which is great. But it's been a fantastic day. I talked to Bunk about it, and he said it's not the most number of planes you've ever had. I think there were 65 or 68 aircraft, but it was the most number of people. And what was amazing to see, and I'd never seen it before, there was a line to get pancakes all the way outside of the hangar and all the way around the side, and people just waiting. It was a huge crowd, and everybody just looked so happy. They did. Nobody was disappointed, I think, in waiting that long for the pancakes that were delicious, especially with the main blueberries and the main maple syrup. So uh, it was uh, it was great. Uh, it was a long line, but worth it, and people had a terrific time. You know, and the other thing that was just wonderful is we had three airplane, regular Airplane Geek listeners come up just for this event. We interviewed them all. You, you, you've heard them already probably. It was, you know, Bill Barry was here. He was a regular guest on the show and a good friend of the show. Thank you, Bill, for coming up after me calling you out on the show. Glad you finally made it, and I hope you'll be back. And then there was J.D. Goldstein who flew in that beautiful cardinal and i had always wanted to see a cardinal and boy when he reminded me that there's no strut that it's a cantilever wing i looked at it and i go yeah that's why i love it so much and then of course mike smith came up again with his sonics and so great to see them and the other thing that i personally loved about it was that you know you've heard me rave about it on the show for years but i have friends that aren't airplane geeks and I'll tell you, they don't listen to the show, but they've heard me raving about this event for years, too. I had five non-airplane geek friends show up who had a wonderful time and couldn't believe the beautiful location and couldn't believe the gorgeous airplanes and how close they could get. And even they were commenting about how it's amazing to be able to see the aircraft. It's so different from a normal, what people call an air show. And we also got an opportunity to uh, introduce the Airplane Geeks podcast to to many people, and I, I think we weren't, uh, you know, overly marketing ourselves or anything, but people would come up and notice the T-shirt logo or the pins or something and ask about Airplane Geeks, and so we had an opportunity to, to tell folks some, some things about what we're all about, and so that was kind of nice, too. And if you were here and you're listening to this, thanks for listening, thanks for being here, and thanks for being a, a new listener. And you know what? We've kind of talked about this, you and I, a little bit, and I've mentioned it, and I'm going to mention it here on the air. But I think this event takes place every year on the Sunday after Independence Day, the 4th of July. There's no set date. It's always that Sunday, though, because that date will change. And I think this would be a wonderful annual Airplane Geeks get-together. If you can get here, you should get here. And it would be wonderful to see you. And what's nice about it is that, yeah, it doesn't start until 8. I was here at 7.15. You spent the night. It's over by 11, and here it is noon. So you can have the morning, have your pancakes, and then head out to the beach or see other parts of Maine. So even if you're bringing kids, they're not going to get bored because they're not there for that long. And how could you get bored in an event like this? There really are lots of things to see and do in, in Maine. That's true in this area as well. So it, it's pretty handy to you know, work this event into a, a larger vacation plan, perhaps. In my case, you know, we came up just for the day, for the event, basically. And that's great. But like you say, uh, being a, a morning event, you have the afternoon to travel if you need to or to head out towards other destinations in the area. So it works very well for that. And bear in mind, on our main license plates, it does say vacation land. <laughs> it is. It very much so is. 
Well, Mike, I think most of the folks have uh, departed. We we watched a lot of the planes uh, depart. That's always fun. Of course, you need to get here early in the morning so that you can see them arrive as well. That way you get both, uh, both angles. So we really had a terrific time. Max, so glad you came. It was wonderful to spend some time with you. And, uh, well, we'll be in touch online. All right, Micah. Hey, you guys are great together. I'm just sitting here smiling and thinking, what next? And I think it's going to be the Macy's Day Parade in New York. (laughs) I mean, the way you're just kind of selling whatever else there is to do there and what time to come and this. and I mean, you guys sound like you should be sitting there in New York City. I don't know. I don't know what kind of salespeople you are. Are you coming next year, Max? Yeah, I plan to. (laughs) That's pretty. I was talking to Tresca. (laughs) Oh, well. It's pretty funny. You said you'd be done by noon. I thought, oh, well, that's great. That gives me the day and a half I need to get back home after. Yeah. <laughs> Long haul from here. You know, Micah, one of the things that you mentioned that, that struck me was that uh, people who are not um, airplane geeks, people who are not enthusiasts or, or in the business can get a lot out of an event like this. Uh, you had some friends come. I also have a, a good, as you know, I have a good friend lives in Maine. And she came with part of her family. And they're not airplane people at all. Um, but they had a wonderful time. It's it's such a unique experience. Uh, and I think it's a great way to, to spark an interest in aviation nonetheless. But, you know, these are, these are folks that have never been that close to an airplane or never talked to a pilot, um, never had any questions answered by someone who, uh, who understood aviation. And uh, they had a great time as well. We have to mention the cows, though. I always have to mention the cows. I think I, these are the cows. I always called them Oreo cows because they have, their the front end is black, the back end is black, and sort of a ring of, of white in the in the middle. And I, I think we talked about this last episode or something, and I said, I didn't know what they were called. And I think it was Brian who looked it up and said they were yep. Lakenvelter cattle, sometimes called a Dutch belted cow. But I got a message from Bill Barry, who thought that maybe those were belted Galloways. So I think those are different. I think Lakenvelder cattle are different than belted Galloways, perhaps. Yeah, the belted Galloways uh, come from Scotland. I looked this up and the the, the Lakenvelders are, are, are Dutch. But I think, first of all, they're Oreo cows as far as I'm concerned. And if they're Oreo cows, then, be, you know, because Oreos, obviously, why would they be Oreo cows? Because cows give milk and Oreos go great with milk. And, <laughs> and, and, and if that's the case, then I'm pretty sure they're Lakenvelder cow, cows or Lakenvelder cattle and being Dutch cattle. And why is that? Because do you want Scottish chocolate on your Oreo or do you want Dutch chocolate making your <laughs> Oreo? I think they're Lakenvelders. I, I think you two are way out of your depth at this point. We that are. are. That are you're mired deep in some cow piles. That's all yeah. I can say. Usually say I'm full of horse something. Someone knows the answer to this. Maybe they can uh, they can help us out. Anyway, um, great, great event. Uh, had a blast. Highly recommend it. And, you know, another thing that occurred to me is sort of the difference between air shows and fly-ins and all of these. They, they, they really are a different flavor, I guess you could you could say, uh, you know, you go to an air show and it's one kind of an event. And if you've been to air shows, you you know, you know what that is. You sit out in the hot sun all day long. You know, you you watch all all the acts. You know, maybe you get to walk around and visit the static uh, static displays and things. Uh, but 
a fly-in like this, I don't know, uh, I find it much more kind of interactive, you know, with uh, with the people, most of whom you've never met before. But it's a different experience. An air show is like going to a play or to a film. It's entertainment. And it's wonderful. I mean, I have a great time going to an air show, and it's something I enjoy. But a fly-in is going to a social event and it's getting a chance to meet people and speak with people. And uh, again, a, a good example is, is our interview with, that we did with, uh, with, with, with Doug. You know, we, we didn't know who he was. We didn't know he was coming. We never met him before until all of a sudden, you know, he was sitting next to us having pancakes. And, uh, and that's the kind of thing you get at a fly-in, which I think is similar to what you probably find at, at Oshkosh and, and Sun and Fun, except those are more commercial. This is a totally non-commercial, just fun event for people to get together and talk aviation, even if you're not into aviation, like our friends who showed up were. And some of my friends already put it on the calendar for next year. They liked it so much. Thank you for listening to this Airplane Geeks replay of our interviews from the 2022 Spurwink Farm Fly-In and Pancake Breakfast. These originally aired in episode 708. Be sure to visit AirplaneGeeks.com for show notes, list of past guests, and biographies of all the hosts, both current and past. And we have a donation link on the website where you can help support the show financially if you like. And as always, you can reach us via email at thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. And if you'd like to get an invitation to our Slack listener team or our Discord server, write us at thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com and we'll send you an invitation. So please join us again next time as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Bye, everybody.